Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Genesis 29 this morning. Um, if you've been tracking along, it's been quite an interesting journey getting this far. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is um, Sean Sass. I'm the executive family pastor at Fusion, and it's an honor to be with you this morning. So um, Genesis 29, you guys ready to jump in? Lots of stuff going on here. So, um, so leading up to this moment, we've... Um, we see how God is working out his promises he made to Abraham. And let me just make sure I'm on the right place here. And uh, on this journey, uh, a lot of stuff has happened so far. So we've had, um, we've had testing. We've had stolen blessings. We've had brotherly deceit. Um, but we still have a promise that God is working out uh, for Abram through Jacob at this point. So let's jump in. I'm going to jump right into verse 1 and verse 1. And I'm going to do it a little different today. I'm going to read. I'm going to stop and go. It's a long chapter, so we'll kind of break it down as we go. So verses 1 and 2. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. So just um, a couple of observations here. Um, obviously the Lord had blessed his trip and Jacob was returning to the land of his mother, Rebecca, and also to the land of his grandfather, Abraham. So. There's a bit of familiarity here, but a land, he still doesn't know, but a land of his ancestors. Uh, verse 3, when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Um, verse 4, Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Iran, they replied. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. Um, of course, this is a time of uh, very primitive uh, navigation, no GPS, no maps, you know, no, none of the crazy stuff we have today. Uh, there's no Siri going, Siri, uh, give me the directions to the eastern areas or to Iran. And... Um, so when Jacob heard those words, he knew that he was in the right place. And I'm sure that the emotions were already starting to pick up at this point. So with this little interaction, he's like, okay, I'm in the right place. Excitement is starting to build. Uh, verse five, I said to them, do you know Laban, Naor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. And Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they asked. And here he comes. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. 
Um, pause there for a second. And this is where the drama begins, right? So Rachel enters the picture. And obviously she's something to look at. And uh, Jacob is immediately taken with her. And so verse seven, look, he said, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be, is it not time for the flocks to be gathered, water the sheep and take them back to pasture? So obviously Jacob's trying to get rid of these, these shepherd boys. And from the way, from the original language and the way that he interacted with them, we can deduce that these were younger boys. So a lot of young shepherds and shepherdesses like Rachel at the time. Um, he was taken by a beauty and obviously wanted to get rid of them. And he's like, hey, what are the sheep? And uh, basically get out of here so I can talk to uh, Rachel. And so he had already taken notice of her beauty. Now, if we go back to a um, couple of chapters around 20, 21, 22, and we see a similar pattern evolving here. So if we look back at Abram and Sarah, what did Abram do? Well, he had this very beautiful wife. And then Isaac, uh, we had Rebecca, also had a beautiful wife. And both of them had these incidents where when asked, hey, who is that? They would say it's their sister. And because of their beauty, um, people were just drawn to them. And so they tried to hide the um, existence of their wives. So now we see Jacob, who appears to be following in the footsteps of his ancestors, being drawn to this beautiful woman. Now, it's not right or wrong. There's just some connections here and there's some family history um, where it's like, well, do I trust God or not? Or do I do my own thing? So hold on to that thought as we dig in here. Um, so a question I asked myself at this point was, is Rachel really the woman that God intended for him? Or was his MO physical beauty and attraction rather than uh, looking for character and virtue and potentially walking by faith and not by sight? So hang on to that idea. I'm going to come back, come back to that too. Um, there's a bit of a theme with that as well. So verse eight, we can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well, then we will water the sheep. So very few commentaries actually um, say much about verse eight, but I think there's some significance there in these shepherds going, no, we wait till everyone arrives, then we open the well, then we all water our sheep, then we close it up, and then we leave. So there's a couple of things happening here. One, they were probably protecting a precious resource yeah, by opening it up when they needed, potentially stopping sheep from falling into the well. So just a very interesting interaction, how they were like, no, we all wait, we'll do this together. There's a sense of community, you know, a sense of sharing, sense of taking care of and stewarding a resource they had. Um, verse nine, while he was talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherd or shepherdess technically. 10, then Jacob saw um, Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban and Laban's sheep. He went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well. 
notice how immediately it does something different to what the other shepherds had suggested where, hey, we wait for everyone. Then we roll the stone away. But Jacob's like, I need to get rid of you guys. Uh, let's roll that stone away. And then I can actually have some one-on-one -on -one time with uh, Rachel. Uh, verse 11. Um, then Jacob uh, kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebecca. So she ran and told her father. So Rachel must have been quite surprised because she had never met um, Jacob. But then he kisses her, and it's not a romantic kiss, it's kind of a greeting in a greeting way. But she had heard of her relatives um, who had lived uh, in the promised land. This was Rebecca aunt, and she understood that Jacob was family. So 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. There Jacob told him all these things. And so what are all these things? Basically the journey up to this point. And Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. Now, bear in mind how Jacob had got to be in this place in the first place. You know, his blessing had been stolen. Um, he'd already journeyed. Lots of things had happened. So he is a man that's experienced a lot of things um, coming back into this land and now meeting his uncle. So um, the next heading there is Jacob marries Leah and Rachel. Okay, it's about to get real. So after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, Tell me what your wages should be. That phrase sounds like a nice offer, right? But really, Laban let Jacob know that if he wanted to remain among them, he must stay as a hired servant. Now, Jacob was a man of um, a lot of wealth. You know, he was not lazy. He was used to hard work, um, but he was used to servants doing his work back home. Now the tables are turned a little bit. Jacob becomes the servant. Now, if we look at Jacob's reaction here, it tells us a lot about his character. So um, here's a question for you or a statement. You never know what kind of servant you are until others treat you like a servant. Well, that's very interesting, right? So here's a... Let's pause a moment here and kind of put out a little bit of application here. So the question is, are we willing to serve others without a condition or reward? Now, Jacob was serving because there was going to be a reward, which was Rachel. And for us, you know, in today's, in our lives, you know, we, we have had the greatest gift of prize of all, which is the gift of salvation that Jesus gave us through doing everything he did um, throughout his life and then dying on the cross, um, coming alive again, you know, being raised on the third day. And we are promised a life that is empowered by the spirit and the gift of eternal life. So we have the ultimate prize. 
And that's why we serve. That's why we are servants. So are we willing to serve others, bearing in mind that the prize might not be something we get on earth, right? So hang on to that thought. Okay, verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Now Leah had weak eyes. Now um, scholars don't think that you could see badly. Um, most scholars believe that it's just that Rachel had these beautiful eyes and Leah was a little nondescript. So that's what they think that means. Um, Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Um, so they're very clear on what she looks like. Um, Jacob was in love with Rachel and he had known her for about a month at this time. Um, at that time, was very strict interactions between males and females, especially in someone else's household. So you know, the question is, is this attraction mostly physical because of how she looks or is there um, character values and something else he's seen? And I think it's the former and we'll, we'll kind of get into that in a little bit. Um, so Laban said, uh, which verse did I stop at? Um, okay, 18. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but that seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. So clearly, this guy is in love. Um, seven years is a long time. When's the last time you waited seven years for something that was potentially out of reach? You know, what is, what is God asking you to wait for? Um, in this culture, as I mentioned before, there were strict guidelines to um, separate unmarried men and women on how much time they could spend together. So I guess we could say for Jacob, true love waits, right? Because Jacob was willing to wait seven years for Rachel. So here's a little application here. Um, so what is God telling you to wait for? Are you willing to? And so here's the thing, though. Um, as we get later into the story, we see the consequences of Jacob's impatience, right? And the question for us is, are we willing to pay the consequences of our impatience? What is God asking you to wait for? And are you really willing to go? you know what, I'm not going to wait. I'm willing to pay the consequence of being impatient. But that usually ends up being really messed up, right? Because God's way yields true blessing. So in our impatience, we might miss the real blessing that God has for us, the real development, the real journey, the real growth that he wants us to experience. So what is God asking you to wait for? And are you willing to pay the consequences of your impatience. Hang on to that thought. Okay. Now, just a quick observation here that Jacob was willing to serve Laban for the promise of beauty, for the promise of something physical. Um, if we said, was he walking by faith or by sight? 
probably we could say he was walking by sight, right? Okay, we're going to jump into 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. And I want to make love to her. He doesn't mince any words, right? Like, just give me my woman. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. So a couple of things here, right? Oh, well, let me just finish 24. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as an attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Excuse me, why have you deceived me? Now, we can assume a couple of things here. Uh, that Leah was in on the deception um, under Laban's direction and authority. Um, Rachel was possibly in on it too, but um, she might be, she may have been acting under duress. We don't know. It doesn't really say, but there's a lot of things we can read into those few verses. So we already have a, um, a marriage built on lies and deception, but we have a marriage, right? We have a marriage that's been consummated. Um, now, something really interesting that caught my attention here was, if you go back to Jacob and Esau and Isaac, um, Jacob, whose name means heel catcher, was taken by the heel here, right? He became the one being deceived. The deceiver was deceived. Remember how he and his mother had deceived Isaac to steal the blessing? So, um, very interesting turn of events here. So, you can imagine that there were some uh, feelings or emotions that came up here going, um, you know what, maybe uh, this is something very real that is kind of coming to terms with that, oh, that's what it feels like to be deceived as someone who was the deceiver. So a lot of emotions here, a lot of inter interesting interactions. So Laban replied, it is not our custom to give the younger daughter in marriage before the elder one. Finish the store this bridal week, and we will give you the younger one also. And notice that she's not named, it's just the younger one, in return for another, another seven years of work. So Jacob did so, he finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilba to his daughter Rachel as an attendant. So these two servants, um, they mentioned very specifically. So we had, um, was it Zilpah earlier and Bilba here? So we have two wives, two servants. <laughs> Jacob didn't work it out the first time, did he? <laughs> uh, one wife's enough, if you ask me. Um, so this guy is a serial wife haver, and um, Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. So already we have this dysfunction going on, and Leah is, is already experiencing um, some, some form of rejection, even though she's the first. And then he worked for Laban another seven years. 
Okay, I'm just going to look at the chat real quick. Uh, if you guys have any questions or anything, just drop it in there. Yep, what goes around comes around. See, Nicole's agreeing with me there. Yep, a lot of manipulation in this family, right? Um, okay. Okay. So, Jacob, and if I want to use the word C in all capital letters, S-E-E, Jacob still doesn't see Leah, right? He sees Rachel, but what he sees is a physical, beautiful woman. He looks at Leah and he doesn't see who she is because he's distracted by worldly things. Um, we're going to take a look at Leah in a, in a little bit and see the significance of who Leah would become. Now, here's a question. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to help you see clearly, to see beyond physical things, to see with spiritual eyes, to see with discernment and not be distracted by um, things that look pretty, by grass that appears to be greener on the other side, to not be distracted by the things of the flesh, um, to not be drawn into things that simply look good, right? So... Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to allow us to see with spiritual eyes? I think that's a very big lesson that we need to pick up out of this section. Uh, give me one second. I just want to capture something off the screen here. Um, be right back. Okay. Now... So application uh, point here is, what if we made our decisions walking by faith and not by sight, seeing with spiritual eyes? So um, I think this is Jacob's problem, is not walking by faith, is walking by sight. Okay, uh, verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Okay, now, clearly God's compassion for Leah is huge over here. She was an innocent party in all of this, in this mess, and something to um, recognize here that God can bring comfort and blessing to a wife who is hurting. Don't you agree that sometimes that and it could be a wife or a husband, right? And sometimes, you know, we're not evenly yoked. Sometimes you may be in a relationship where you're a believer, your wife is not. But I think what God is saying here, that God can bring true comfort and blessings to a wife or a husband um, and meet her needs, even when the husband, with Jacob in this case, acts in an ungodly manner. So I think we need to remember that, that God um, doesn't... God knows, he knows the pain, he knows the hurt, and he can still work in there when things like this happen. Uh, 32, uh, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Wow, that's a crazy statement, right? If I give my husband a son, if I give my husband what he wants, surely he'll love me because of what I do for him, not because of who I am and how God has brought us together. 
that line is loaded with emotion. Um, Leah is desperate for Jacob's affection and love, but she still does not, but he still does not seem to see her, right? And the significance of who she is to become. And uh, this kind of blew my mind a bit. As you look into Leah's lineage, uh, verse 33, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Uh, 34, again, she conceived and she gave birth to a son. And she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I've born him three sons. So his name, he was named Levi, 35. She conceived again. When she gave to birth to the son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Notice the change there. So what's insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, right? So she's like, I'm going to have a son. I'm going to have another son. He's going to love me if I have another son. I'm just going to keep having sons. But in verse 35, she says, this time... I'm just going to praise the Lord because he is the Lord. So she named him Judah, and she stopped having children for a while. Okay, so let's look at this a little bit. So Leah, at this point, has four children. How many children does Rachel have? Show me your fingers. Big zero, right? So let's look at a little comparison here of uh, Leah and Rachel. So. Without doubt, Leah was a stronger and more suitable wife for Jacob. And so we must, we must assume that God allowed this deception to happen and agreed of Laban to succeed, right? Because ultimately, if you look at uh, 30, which we're not covering today, there's some other stuff going on. Um, so Leah is the principal wife of the patriarchal family. And I'll show you how this looks. So um, Genesis 29, 26, uh, for the comment on the custom of marrying the firstborn daughter before giving the younger one in marriage is claimed by Laban as an excuse. So that was his excuse. So let me outline kind of the importance of Leah and her preeminence as the first wife. So she actually became the mother of six. Uh, Genesis 30, 19. So half of the 12 tribes was from Leah, from whom the Messiah was born. So Jesus came from her line. Um, uh, future generations became the principal element of the true Israel, following the defection and loss of northern Israel. Um, David, the king who gave his name and title to Christ himself, the son of David, was her descendant. She was first, she was the first and therefore the lawful wife of Jacob. Her son Judah gave his name and title to Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, she's mentioned first and was at last buried by Jacob's side in the cave of Machpelah at Hebron, uh, presumably, presumably before Jacob's descent to Egypt. So a lot of very interesting things pointing to Leah and how significant she is, even though she was the one that was rejected and not loved. Um, from her very line came Jesus and half of the tribe of Israel. Now, Rachel, who was more beautiful than Leah, was a special object of Jacob's love. Um, so that's kind of her place in scripture and in the history of the chosen people. 
Um, it is possible that she consented to this fraud. We're not sure. And this deception with Jacob. Um, uh, Anna in the history of Israel was inferior to that of Leah. And so here's a few notes on that. She was the second, not the first wife, right? And a couple of these are really interesting. So she was impatient and demanding in the matter of, of having children, right? A descendant, um, Ephraim, led the rebellion that divided Israel. So notice the results of this deception, the results of um, doing things um, uh, not in God's way. So Ephraim led that rebellion. Um, her body, when she died, was not placed beside Jacob. So she didn't have that special place um, at her death. And when you get to Genesis 31, a couple of days, verse 32 to 35, um, she sponsored and kept alive pagan idolatry. This is the whole story with the little idols that she had away. So very interesting how these two women are compared. Um, how one is in the center of deception and lies, the other is at the mercy of God, right? But yet the one who is at the mercy of God becomes this important woman, basically um, is in Christ's line, half the tribe of Israel, and at the end of the day is recognized as this very important uh, woman in the life of Israel, where Rachel uh, becomes kind of insignificant. And if you look at the 12 tribes, uh, Leah is responsible for six of the tribes, so Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, um, her servant. <laughs> so not only was there two wives, but there were two servants in the mix. I'm like, you guys are out of your minds. Um, let's keep it simple, people. So Gad and Asher were born to Zopa, Leah's servant. And then Bilhah, Rachel's servant, was uh, Dan and Naphtali, and then Rachel um, had two kids, Joseph and Benjamin. And if you know anything about Joseph's journey, you notice how this generational curses, generational reflection is following through her line. Um, you know, Joseph becomes a very significant character, but there's some very significant life journey and struggles. That comes alongside a lot of drama, a lot of women, a lot of drama, right? <laughs> so uh, let me summarize this for us. Yes, a couple of the three application points I have is number one, as a servant of Christ, are you willing to serve others without the condition of a prize or a reward, without a Rachel waiting for you, knowing that we already have the greatest prize of all, right? Which is Jesus Christ. So that's one. Are you willing to serve as a servant without, you know, a promise of a reward? Okay. Number two, um, what is God telling you to wait for? And are you willing to pay the consequences for your impatience? Or would you rather wait for God to do what he's going to do in the journey that he wants you to go on? Uh, the third idea is, um, what if we made our decisions walking by faith and not by sight, seeing with spiritual eyes. All right, so those are three things I have for you. This is a fascinating chapter. Uh, it is 6.30.
I'm going to pray. Uh, if there's any questions, you can drop them in the chat. But um, wow. So, you know, final thought is, do I want to pick God's way or do my own thing? And the consequences are insane, right? The consequences can be so severe when we lose sight of this idea of walking by faith and not by sight. So, hey, guys, thanks for being on. I'm going to pray and I'll see you hopefully soon. All right, let me pray for us. Father, we just thank you for um, the life of um, Jacob and ultimately um, the descendants that you promised to Abram were fulfilled through this man and this drama and his wives and his servants. But Father, we've learned so many things by observing this life. And Father, we thank you for your word that's true and alive that teaches us um, that is our yardstick, our measuring stick that shows us how to live and teaches us um, so much of what Christian living is about. So, Father, we pray that we would have um, eyes that see clearly, Father, that we would not be impatient and that we would be walking by faith and not by sight, Father. So I pray for each one on today, Father, that these lessons would become instilled in the heart. Father, I pray that you would continue to grow us, to guide us. Father, we thank you for um, your great love for us and for the great reward that you have in store for us. So, Father, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you for who you are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day.